Well, good morning, and Merry Christmas. Um, as we uh, have, well, we're now uh, on the first Sunday after Christmas, and one of our, our readings this morning, that, that reading from Paul's letter to the Colossians, I think invites us to ask ourselves uh, an important question and an appropriate question following Christmas. And it's just a simple question, how do we respond to the gospel? How do we respond when we've heard and believed that good news that Jesus Christ has come? That living that perfect life, dying for our sins and rising from the dead three days later, having heard that news, having believed that news... For most of us, having heard and believed it many, many times, how do we respond? What now? Right Now that we've taken a, another time out of the year to, to stop and, and to celebrate Christmas, to behold the Christ child, to celebrate with friends and family and, and to eat too much and, and to, to do all of these kinds of things that we do to celebrate Christmas... What do we do now? What do we do now besides maybe regrets and laments and try to change some of those poor diet choices we made in the past week? What do we do now besides just try to get up and get back to work? What do we do now, now that we have heard the gospel do things just sort of go back to normal? Life as we know it, the, the celebrations are over, the extra time spent in church is done, I've got a little bit more freedom. What do we do now? Just kind of go back to how everything was before. You see, one of the things that I actually have really grown to appreciate about the church calendar uh, about following these these different seasons that we take time to celebrate and remember, going through this period of waiting and expectation during Advent, and then celebrating Christmas, and then later we'll get into into Lent, where we take this time to to lament our, our sin, remember our mortality, and then rejoice and, and celebrate and shout Alleluia at the risen Christ on Easter. One of the things that I love about just the movement of the church year is each and every year we are regularly reminded of the story of Jesus. We are regularly reminded of what God has done, regularly reminded of what our hope rests on, and we are regularly reminded throughout the year, throughout the calendar of the church, that Jesus changes everything. That there is no just going back to normal. And being regularly reminded of that, we can do as the scriptures call us to do, and that is daily repent, daily remember that everything has changed. Daily remember that Christ has changed everything. And so there is no going back to normal. In fact, that's precisely what Paul calls the Colossian Christians, and calls us to remember in our epistle lesson this morning. 
Colossians chapter 3. This comes after Paul has called the Colossian Christians to put on the new self. And having heard the gospel, having been baptized and believing that Christ has come and has paid for the sin of the world, having heard and believed this, now everything's different. Don't go back to normal. Don't go back to the way that things were, but rather put on this new self that God has made possible in Jesus. And we come to verse 12 where he says this, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So Paul says, put on then, as those who are chosen, those who are holy and beloved, put on things like compassion, put on things like kindness, Put on things like like patience and, and humility and meekness. Set aside the pride. Set aside the anger. Set aside the, the assertion that I must be right at all costs. And put on these new things. Put on forgiveness. Above all else, he says, put on love, which binds everything together. Now, one of the things that I think is is rather important to note about these commands that Paul makes here is the way he introduces them. He says again in verse 12, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Notice what Paul doesn't say. Notice here that Paul doesn't say, If you put on all of these things, then... You will be, then you will become God's holy, chosen, beloved ones. No, that's not what Paul says. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. In other words, Paul is saying, since you already are God's chosen people, Since you already are holy and beloved because Jesus has shed his blood on the cross for you, because you are already cleansed of the stain of sin, because your shame has been taken away, since you already are chosen to be God's people, to be inheritors of his kingdom, because you already are holy, because God has already clearly demonstrated that you are his beloved Put on then, because you know this, received. Right? Paul is simply calling us here in all of these commands to reflect the character of God. He's saying to the Christians in Colossae, he's saying, hey, how has God treated you? What has God shown you about himself in Jesus? Well, he's shown us that he is compassionate, that he's humble that he is kind, that he is gracious, that he is full of forgiveness and love. Okay. Do the same. 
put on this character of God. Reflect His character to the world around you, to one another. Daily remind yourselves and those with you by your actions of what God is like and what He has done for you. He's simply calling the Christians, calling us to reflect God's character by the virtues that we put on, by the lives that we embrace. And we're not called to do it so that we'll earn God's favor. We're not called to do it to get in His good graces. We're not called to do it so that if I live right enough and if I love enough and if I'm compassionate enough or if I do all of these things, if I don't swear in traffic enough, then God will love me. Then He'll give me salvation. No, He's saying, no, you already are God's chosen holy, beloved children. Therefore, because you are that, you are set free to show kindness, compassion, love, mercy, forgiveness. We're simply reflecting that identity that we've been given in Jesus. We show compassion. We show humility. We show forgiveness. We show love. Because that's what our God has shown to us. So we do it all because we've already been chosen. But Paul doesn't end there. He continues. He says in verse 15, he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Ultimately, Paul here in these verses, he he wants two things to dominate, to govern the lives of God's people. First, he says he wants the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule, govern, be judge over your heart. And second, let the word of Christ, the commands, the teachings, and maybe above all else, the promises of Christ, dwell in you richly, abundantly, lavishly, The peace of Christ and the word of Christ are what is primary for God's people. And I can't help but think and see that these things go hand in hand. In other words, the thing that dwells in us richly, lavishly, the thing that we're immersed in and saturated in is the thing that is going to rule in our hearts. And so when the Word of God dwells in us richly, when our lives are saturated with the Scriptures and with the promises of our God, then the peace of Christ is what will rule and govern and be judge over our hearts. Because you see, here's the reality. There is something that is going to rule in your heart. So if what our lives are constantly saturated in and covered in, and and if the thing that is dwelling in us most richly is the media, and politics, and world affairs, 
then what's going to rule in our hearts? Those things. And so what's probably going to govern and rule and dominate our hearts is not the peace of Christ, but the anxiety and the fear of the world. Or when a desire for status and and power, if that rules in our hearts, or if that's what dwells in us, if that's what we're consumed with, then always trying to climb the ladder is what is going to rule in our hearts. When it's social media and and looking and and being obsessed with people's perceptions of you, if that's what rule, if that's what dwells in you most richly, that's where you spend all your time is scrolling through whatever platform you're using. If that is what dwells in you richly, then that obsession over how people see you, that fear that your life doesn't measure up, that's what's going to rule and govern your heart. for obsessed with stuff, for always looking for the next thing and the next thing, then a constant longing for, no, for more, a constant longing for, for something else is what's going to rule and govern our hearts. Whatever dwells in us, whatever saturates our lives is what will rule our hearts. So Paul here calls the church to have the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Let the word of Christ be the thing that saturates your lives. Let that be what consumes you. May your lives be consumed with knowing Jesus, knowing his commands, knowing his teachings, knowing his promises, so that his peace would be the thing that rules in your hearts and in your life. Right, Because that's what the scriptures ultimately do. They're constantly pointing us back to the promise that we have peace with God through Jesus. And so when our lives are saturated by the scriptures and saturated by God's promises, the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts. But that's ultimately what, what devotions are all about. Right? Why do we spend time in the scriptures every single day? Why would we seek to immerse ourselves in them so that we'd remember what God says about us? Why do we come to worship and, and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Why do you endure lengthy sermons where you're admonished and taught? And when Pastor Brad preaches, maybe you get a little wisdom. Why do we gather around the Lord's table every single week? Why do we do all of these things? It's ultimately so that our lives would be saturated with the Word. Because when our lives are saturated with the Word, when the Word of Christ dwells in us richly and lavishly, when we're soaked with it, that's when His peace begins to rule in our hearts. When it begins to dominate our emotions when it begins to dominate everything about our lives. And so we seek to saturate our lives with the Word of God, being taught and admonished, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, all of these things aim to bring us back to the peace that we have with God through Jesus. Bring us back to that promise that we are chosen, we are holy, we are beloved, all because of what Christ has done. 
And all of this aims to accomplish one thing in us. Perhaps what Paul summarizes this all with is verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All of these things that Paul calls us to. The things that he has called us to put on as chosen, holy, beloved children of God. Letting that that word of Christ dwell in us and, and the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. All of that is aimed at making us people who do everything to glorify our God and Father. Glorifying the one who has come to save us. Our speech, our work, our families, and our relationships, our wallets, every single aspect of life has a new purpose. Nothing is the same anymore because of the gospel. Everything about us is now aimed at glorifying the God who has come to rescue us in his Son. So people of God, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't go back to normal. Don't just go back as if things are the same. But whatever you do, in word or in deed, as you seek to put on kindness and compassion and love and forgiveness. As your lives are saturated with the word of God so the peace of Christ would rule in your hearts, may whatever you do be done to glorify the God who has come to rescue you. May every single thing that we do be done to give honor and praise to the God who in his son Jesus And on the cross that he bore for us, may we honor and praise him because he has chosen us. He has made us holy by his blood. And because in him we are beloved, may everything we do be done to his glory. Amen?